This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. And with me today is David Donaldson, who is uh, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome. Hi, Susan. Very glad to be here today. I was um, very intrigued by our topic today and thought I would introduce it in, um, uh, it with a bit of perspective. Back when I was in training as a psychiatrist, I became very interested in a couple of books that had been written regarding the role of creativity and madness, as they called it, or psychiatric disorders. And there was a lot of research being done during that time looking at the correlation between what happens when someone has mental illness and also has an issue with um, uh, creativity, that they are a skilled writer or a musician or they have um, talents in terms of being artistic, a painter. And I remember looking at this and being really um, interested but also confused at was having a mental illness, being bipolar or even schizophrenic, was that the price that people had to pay in terms of being very creative and successful in their lives? So I began to think some about this and wonder because I would hear often people saying, I don't want to take my medication for my bipolar disorder because it interferes with my creativity. I hear this same discussion often presented to me by patients who are using drugs, and they will say, I'm so much more creative. I have much better performances. I have better ideas. I do things in a more intense and focused way when I'm under the influence of drugs, and if I give up drugs, then I am going to lose that edge and I won't be creative. So I invited David um, today to talk about this a little bit and to really put into perspective what are the myths and what are the truths around this concept of creativity and creativity at what cost. So welcome, David. Hi, thank you. This is this is definitely an issue that we we deal with regularly with um, with people um, in the addiction world. Um, there's there's many people who feel like their creativity is enhanced by their drugs abuse, their um, their confidence, their ability to to um, you know like the baseball player who's willing to steal second base because he's got that little burst of of um, chemically induced adrenaline going on and a real fear that they'll ever be successful again if they actually get into recovery. Um, and fortunately, we also have a pretty good track record of people getting into recovery and after a period of adjustment actually being quite successful again. Um, um, but that, that is a fear that, that many patients will experience um, in, in entering recovery and, and realizing that if they don't, they're going to um, die. But if they do, what are they going to have to live for? And I think that that's a real question that we have to have some real answers for. People can't just uh, take our word for it and, um, and understand and accept and take a chance because for many of them they are quite 
uh, dependent for their livelihood and certainly for their purpose and their passion in life. They're very dependent on having access to their creative skills. So back to my um, research that I was doing when I was working in um, primarily in psychiatry, and there was a book that was written by Albert Rothenberg called Creativity and Madness, New Findings and Old Stereotypes. This um, was published by Johns Hopkins University Press back in 1990. And while obviously that's a while ago, I think this begins to point out what I'm talking about in terms of what is what causes what and and what do you have to give up in order to continue your creativity. So in um, Dr. Rothenberg's book, uh, he talks about the idea of history being full of troubled geniuses, as he says, that from um, looking at people creative like Sylvia Plath, Emily Dickinson, Eugene O'Neill, others, Dostoevsky, some of these folks that had very successful literary careers but also had very tragic deaths often related uh, to their depression. So he studied um, a number of people. He spent over 2,000 hours interviewing people, doing traditional psychiatric interviews. And he did these interviews with award-winning writers, artists, and scientists. He also carried out a number of psychological experiments using about a thousand research subjects and looking at their talents, their IQs, all of these kinds of things. And in doing this, he came upon something that was um, quite interesting to me. The first being that, yes, there is quite a bit of overlap in terms of creative people having a major mental illness, including things like bipolar disorder and depression, that um, when they are their most creative, however, is not during the time when their disease is untreated. It was not during the time when Vincent van Gogh cut off his ear that he was in his height of his creativity. It was um, during periods of a more stable mood or psychiatric disorder that it was really important to understand that while they may have the mood disorder or other brain diseases that we know of as mental illness, that the periods of their creativity were during times when they're, um, or they're most creative, let me put it that way, they're most creative um, occurred when they were in their rational and conscious frame of mind, is how Dr. Rothenberg puts it, that it didn't happen when they were in a mystically altered or transformed state. He said that he found nothing pathological in the idea of creativity, although it can clearly coexist with people who have psychosis and other major mental illness. So this, I think, is very important and was very important at the time to reassure some of the patients that I was working with psychiatrically that if we get your bipolar disorder under control, if we treat your schizophrenia or your depression, you're going to be able to get back to your good creative 
um, place and that you're going to continue to be successful. So that was very helpful to me and I hope was very helpful to my patients in terms of being able to let them understand the role of their mental illness in their disease. So we have some new information that looks also at the role of addiction or using mind and mood altering substances and how that interplay affects someone's um, ability to be creative in the long run. So David, I think you're familiar with well, that. And I, I think that the key phrase in that is in the long run um, um, because part of, part of what a lot of the, the famous stories highlight is that many, many of these creative people are very creative and are, are amazing in the, in the brief early period when they get started. Um, and, and what a lot of the studies are showing is that it's not a total mistake to say that, that when people first use various drugs um, that because of the disinhibition that they experience, that, that they do have some original thoughts and they do have some creative experiences in the very, very short term. Um, um, but what the science really continually over and over repeats is that this is a very short-term experience, that, that um, what tends to happen is that the drugs that they believe are helping them to be more creative and helping them to enhance their, their talents um, becomes a, becomes quite fatal. Um, um, and the truth with heroin, for example, is that, that 105 people are dying every day um, from drug overdoses in the United States and that there are thousands, 6,700, according to one study, of people in emergency departments because of drug um, um, misuse and abuse. Um, so even though their initial early experiences with things might expand their mind or might make them feel more creative, their ability to sustain that um, is, is not possible. That The reality is drugs, these kind of drugs are going to ruin a person's life. Um, David, I think that's really very important and important for patients and people to hear. And maybe we've put the punchline at the beginning, but I do think it's really important to understand this role of uh, using mood or mind-altering substances and then what is the long range, the long-term trajectory when someone gets out of control with their disease of addiction. Well, I have part, of, part of what I think is so important with, with the creativity that's lost with addiction isn't that you know, you have this one experience and, and then suddenly your creativity is gone. Addiction is a, is a much more um, um, subtle destroyer. <laughs> so initially it takes away your ability to um, enjoy your success and enjoy your accomplishments. You, you burn up all of your dopamine um, in, in that initial experience. So, so you're not having the pleasure that you've been felt, felt successful and you're not getting the, the rewards that you would you would achieve naturally through a creative experience that was that was achieved naturally. Um, um, so you're losing your ability to experience pleasure, and you're losing the ability to feel like you're having a success. And and then you begin to lose the ability to have any sense of creativity at all, which is why so often the end that we see in these situations, if it's not an overdose, is a suicide. 
it's so frequent that I hear someone say, well, when I started using drugs, it helped me with my pain, it helped me with my sleep, it helped me with my social anxiety, it helped me be more creative, it helped me not have performance anxiety so that I could go out and I could perform or I could stay up later and write or paint or whatever. This, as you say, is a very common experience that the first few times or even the first few years of using a substance will create some sort of not only a high where they feel good, but actually improved performance in some way. And this is one of the ways that I think drugs become very seductive because they do help. They do work, at least in the beginning. But as you say, when people continue to use, not only do they lose that dopamine and that ability to feel pleasure and joy and connection with the things that they're creating, their fans, their audiences, they begin to also physically lose the ability to actually perform. So it's not just that they're not so creative anymore, but if they are under the influence of drugs, if they are impaired because of alcohol, their ability to actually show up and do their job or their ability to be able to uh, find a way to um, present their material becomes so impaired that now they have lost the um, they have lost the ability to be able to um, even engage in the work that they love and we see that over and over again Oh yeah, the physical deterioration that that you'll you'll see artists getting on the stage and and just so totally unable to perform um, um, for for the audience and and to a point where they're being booed um, and and you can't help but look at at modern everyday news stories. Um, there was there was a story in the news um, that we'll have to come back to when we come back from this break. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank on America's Web Radio. Today I have with me David Donaldson, and he is the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. We're talking about a topic that has been on my mind for a number of years. It has come up again as I've been working with some patients who have um, many very creative skills and are very much wedded to the idea that their drug use actually is responsible for their creativity, whether it's in music or art, uh, whether it's even in scholastic performance. A lot of them have um, come up with this idea that it is the drug, not that the creativity or the special skills they have are within them. And right before the break, um, David, you were talking a little bit about the seduction of, of this and then actually moving into uh, you can't perform anymore and people get booed off the stage. Well, and, and yeah, I was, I was thinking about some, some very current news stories of, of famous people who um, their drug use and their alcohol use is, is getting them consequences that audiences are, are booing and, and feeling ripped off and feeling like they're not getting what they've paid for. Um, um, most recently on the news last night, um, Madonna was apparently drinking during a concert or reports that she was drinking and she was making a lot of obnoxious statements that would not be necessarily unusual. But in this context in, in Kentucky, um, many of the fans felt like that that they didn't receive the concert they paid for. And, and you know, we, you hear these stories with, with various artists and, and you lose the... the um, memory of what was going on initially um, because many of them back when they were young were were really um, smoking marijuana they were doing all of these things and and they were getting a lot of press for um the wild crazy kids that they were you know um and and all of the famous people that we talk about that are no longer with us they would get a lot of of press for um for their absurdities and and I think that that became as big a part of the addiction as anything else um, but the, the real thing that I, I'm really thinking about is is um, for so many of them you know marijuana is often talked about as the gateway but but for so many of these people it, it actually really is that they they have marijuana and they relax and they socialize um, and they might have a um, smoother golf swing or they might have um, um, less tension when they're doing something and they, so they, their brain attributes this is because I'm smoking marijuana that I'm doing so well um, 
um, and, and minimizing their actual natural talents. Um, so I think that they're getting getting trapped in their brain that they don't know that they're going to be okay without it. But they also don't know that they they don't know how to manage the stress of the regular ups and downs and flows of life without it. That I think is more true than most people would really recognize. That they do begin to feel that it is the substance that is making the difference. It is the substance that's bringing them the ideas. It's the substance that improves their performance. And like you say, in the early days of rock and roll, um, not that I don't think that drugs and alcohol have been long absent from most of the musical scene over the many years, but it wasn't until the 60s and 70s that it became not something that we kept quiet and behind the scenes and people had exhaustion and um, it wasn't in your face in terms of these folks are using drugs and alcohol. Many of them were. We know Billie Holiday and other very famous um, musicians often struggled with the disease of addiction. But the, um, the 60s and 70s brought this culture that the drug use, the freedom, that this lifestyle was part of the creative process that it wasn't in spite of the creative process, it was part of the creative process. And I think that many young people today are still buying into that idea and feeling that this is really what makes them. And part of the work that we have to do, as, as you've mentioned, is help them to recognize that their skills and their creativity and their talents are theirs. The drugs didn't give it to them. The drugs probably in the long run won't make them more effective. In fact, quite the opposite. But they have to come to own their skills and then to recognize that maybe they are using the drugs to help them relax or deal with stage fright or help them feel the energy that they might need to carry out a performance and that we have to help them find other ways that are easier and safer and more reliable than using a substance that will create this false sense of relaxation, security, energy, whatever it is that they're looking for, and think that that is the performance rather than, no, you're the performance. You're the one with the skill. The drug has absolutely no skills here, none. Um, this is in you. This is you. This came from you, and you have the ability to learn to master and to be able to provide this um, excellence in and of yourself. You may need to learn how to deal with your anxiety, have better sleep habits, a lot of things, but it's in you. Yeah, that is a, a great point, and not one to, to go past that. The drug itself has no innate talent and no ability to bring out skills that you don't already have. Um, you know, even if it's um, allowing you to be less inhibited, it's still just releasing the skills that you already have. And and um, there are lots of ways to learn how to, to break out of your shell and to learn how to be um, creative and productive that regular people go through when when they're not looking for drugs to do it for them. 
Um, and, and I think real often it's it's. I mean, for for a lot of people, it's looking for a shortcut. <laughs> but but for for many people, the shortcut happened when they were first exposed to drugs, and and their brain, because I really do believe that the, the brain um, in in addiction. Um, is different, and, and their brain has a different reaction and thinks that suddenly this is the only way it's going to ever be possible. Um, and, and so helping them learn that, you know, if you want to learn to sleep normally, you have to start turning off the lights at a certain time, and you have to go to bed, and you have to do these things just like everyone else that, that sleeps a normal pattern. One of the lectures that we give um, here at the Atlanta Healing Center to patients and their families is about the evolutionary advantage of the disease of addiction. And you're right, David, there are things about this brain disease that we know of and that we call addiction that actually has inherent in it some real skills. People who have this disease are much more likely to be unafraid of taking some risks of trying to do things differently, of reaching out, exploring. People who have this disease often make very good salesmen or politicians or artists or athletes because they have this singularity of mind, this focused attention and this drive to accomplish something regardless of how long it takes or how much it costs them personally. Uh, We see this in their desire and their drive to obtain their drug of choice and to use their drug of choice. But if you can remove that drug and the lethality that that drug brings, what you see inherent in that is these skills, these talents that they have can be put to very good creative and productive use. So it is their brain, and if we can get the drugs out of the way, then we can really unleash a brain that can have many skills and this is not a disease to malign this is not a disease to feel bad about this is a disease that actually has a lot of very positive things attached to it if we can get the lethality of the drug use out of the way yeah i I often find that if you can get people to go back and remember who they were before the drugs you know, if they can remember what junior high school was like and, and how they were in the classroom or how they were out on the field, that they had a lot of these talents and skills long before they had ever sampled any sort of chemical. Um, but they they forget it. They absolutely don't have a... And, and unless you're actually sitting there and helping them recall that time period, their brain doesn't really remember life before drugs um, with any sort of positive light. And... and you know, when you're talking to family members, you can hear those stories pretty um, clearly, that family members regularly will tell you about how how active this person was or how phenomenal they were on, in, in, in sports or something. Um, um, but the person themselves, once, once their brain has been exposed to the drug of choice, it's, it's like a before and after. They don't have that memory any longer. A very good point, and with that, we will take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of the truths and the myths around addiction and creativity. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, 
but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Dr. Susan Blank on Detailing Addiction, America's Web Radio. I have David Donaldson, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and we are talking today about the role of the use of drugs in the creative process. We have been working with a lot of very creative people over the years, and we have had a series of individuals being very concerned and very worried about what will happen to them if they make a move to get rid of the drugs and alcohol in their life. Will they lose their edge? Will they lose their ability to be able to perform and their ability to be able to do um, their creative things? So I thought over the next um, section that we might want to talk about what happens to some very famous people that have um, not been able to get their disease of addiction under control and how this has affected them and their creative process. And then in our last segment, we'll talk about people who have been successful in terms of overcoming their disease of addiction and in moving forward with their careers and have had long, very successful careers. So the first person that comes to my mind is um, Amy Winehouse, not only because I really admire her work and her talent, but because of the very short, fast trajectory that happened to her as she advanced in her disease and her attempts at trying to control it and yet 
finally in the end dying of alcohol poisoning. This is such a sad story, and um, I know there's lots of speculation about the idea of folks dying, famous singers dying at the age of 27, and we've lost many of these folks at that age. We have certainly are aware of Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and um, a number of folks that have had very bright, promising careers and yet have spun out of control because of their addiction and have ended up either overdosing and dying or taking their own life. So when I think of um, Amy Winehouse, I think of her very um, uh, unique and inspirational uh, type of singing and um, presentation style that she really was um, so very talented and was found to be such a um, successful person until the drugs and alcohol began to take um, a bigger control of her life. She wrote a number of songs that actually talked about her disease of addiction and the role. I think probably her song, Rehab, is the one most people um, think about and talk about in terms of of her and her, her struggles with her recovery. She was um, very much, I think, interested and had been trying to uh, get over her addiction to heroin, but as is the case with many folks, they struggle with um, letting go of one substance and often pick up another. In her case, she also struggled a lot with um, an eating disorder and also periods of depression. When she was um, hospitalized briefly at one point, she had an overdose of heroin, ecstasy, cocaine, ketamine, and alcohol. She was putting such a chemical soup into her brain that um, in some interviews, Following that, she admitted that she was having some problems with self-harm, that both she and her husband would cut themselves, that they had um, severe depression and eating disorders. And she talked about that she really had thought that after this serious overdose and after coming to terms with some of these lifestyle changes, that it was really over for her, that she had really been able to manage this to get this under control, and she talked about this uh, very clearly several times in terms of feeling like she was doing okay. And then she began to replace these other drugs uh, with something that seemed to be, in her mind, I guess, less of a problem, less dangerous, more common, not even illegal, and that was the use of alcohol. So she began drinking quite heavily, and as this happened for her, unfortunately, she was um, becoming more and more impaired. She was having difficulty in, um, in her personal life. She was having difficulty in her legal life. She slapped a policeman in the face um, and was charged with assault. Uh, she and her husband were seen in the streets physically abusing each other. And she began to be impaired in her profession. 
and this is something that I think is very common with addiction, and that's that by the time the addiction begins to leak out into the profession, that people are well on their way to the um, being severely addicted and having a very serious end-stage addiction. You'll usually see that they are able in some way or another, and sometimes it's a mystery to me, to preserve their work. They still are showing up to some degree. They're, they're able to um, do work. And when you look, though, at the rest of their lives, they are having significant financial problems. They are having significant relationship problems. They are having physical problems. All of these things generally in most cases, show up first, and by the time they get to either the legal situation or the job situation, they are well into their disease, and, and it is often not too long before some disaster happens. And in her case, um, after being booed off the stage, after not being allowed to um, get a visa to uh, accept some awards, uh, she was unfortunately um, found to have died of a alcohol poisoning and alcohol overdose. And this is a very great loss and a very sad thing uh, for someone who had such promise and such talent. I, um, I often think about these people who've had so many um, encounters with treatment and and they come out and they still think, well, it's okay to drink or I don't um, have to be totally abstinent. And I, I find myself wondering what messages they're getting um, about the brain and about total abstinence because because so often you'll hear this story where they go in and they get help for, for um, heroin um, and, and they die of alcoholism. Um, um, or they continue to have something that takes them right back to it. And, and, and so I just really find myself wondering about the messages that they are getting at a lot of places they go to. Um, I also was thinking as you were talking about the number of professional um, businessmen, the number of professional athletes, the number of artists that, that we've encountered over the years that have had some sort of event in their life come up where they've had to have an evaluation and they've had to stop and look at um, um, the impact of chemical dependency in their life. And, and when we're able to get them to stop and look at the, the really the first three steps of the 12 steps, but, but phrasing it to them just in terms of pure insanity, that you're somebody with all of this potential, um, you've got all of these things going on, and your brain is choosing to go do that, um, to, to, to go use drugs or to go drink, when when you know that the risk is is so phenomenal and and for for so many people when you can help them stop and just look at that they they're able to make changes and and go on and have amazingly successful lives that we still witness to this day but then there's there's others where they're just not able to get that message for whatever reason um Amy is just just the most classic, I think, because of her song. Um, they tried to make me go to rehab, and I said, no, no, no. And and um, so that just kind of puts a magnifying glass over over her whole situation, that, that it just didn't work 
for whatever reason in, in her situation. And I think your point that people somehow have the idea that the, the drug that brought them into treatment or the drug that got them into trouble or got them arrested is their problem. And we say this over and over again. It's the drug is not the problem. It's the person's brain that's the problem. And when you are genetically vulnerable to the disease of addiction, you can learn to love the drug you're with. You can also have... Um, an experience where a drug that you think you don't have a problem with can lead you right back to a drug that you do have a significant problem with. And the drug that you think you're safe to use, you're not. She was not safe to use heroin or cocaine or ketamine. Certainly that was pretty clear. She thought she was safe to use alcohol. And unfortunately this message that it's the substance that's the problem rather than it's your brain that's the problem and you can't use any of these substances safely. Yeah. Um, I, I think of the time period that we were working in Canada and, and much of the treatment method up there is, is, is what's referred to as harm reduction. And although harm reduction has its place in the sense that, that you don't necessarily... Um, you know, you don't want to put somebody and set them up for dying um, because they're not at a point of being willing to totally quit everything. It doesn't, there was, in Canada, there was a strong message that you shouldn't tell somebody they have to give up everything. That the message was get, being given to the providers, you can't do this, as opposed to giving the person the information and letting them make a healthy decision. Um, and, and so that, that's this part of what these stories always take me to is, okay, we need to give the message that this is a disease, and it's a brain disease that's going to react in all of these to to any any drug that's messing with the dopamine system, whether it's alcohol or heroin or cocaine or crystal meth, and and she is just the, the biggest example I think for for that tragedy. And so that is something that I think um, our listeners need to really um, hear very clearly and take into stock that the problem is not the substance. There are plenty of people that can use alcohol or take pain medication or um, take medication for anxiety or for sleep and not have a problem with it. Those people that are genetically vulnerable are the ones that cannot use the drug no matter whether it's their favorite or one that they even like. Their brain is the problem. It's not the substance that is the problem. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some folks that have been relatively successful in terms of dealing with their disease of addiction and being able to go on to have a successful career to illustrate our idea that the creativity is within the person, it's not within the drug. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or 
give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Dr. Susan Blank on Detailing Addiction. We are talking today about a subject that I think has been um, of an interest of mine for a number of years, both from the mental health aspect as well as from the addiction aspect. And we've talked about this idea of mental illness and creativity very briefly, but we have been focusing on the idea of addiction and creativity, that inherent in the um, brain that has the disease of addiction are many things that can make people very successful in their roles in life. And many of our patients, and we have many examples of people who have been very successful in their life and have been able to um, maintain and monitor and manage their disease of addiction and have been able to go on and be very successful. So part of what I'd like to focus on in this last segment is some positive um, examples of this. And I think that probably one person who exemplifies a, a successful recovery program, and certainly we don't take other people's inventories and we don't... Um, it ain't over till it's over, but I think Eric Clapton has been a very excellent example of someone that has gotten very involved in the use of drugs and alcohol and yet has been able to be sober for more than 20 years and have a very successful life and career after it. So back in 1977, Eric Clapton released a version of J.J. Kale's song, Cocaine. This is, is quite the anthem of the 70s and 80s, and Clapton himself, in an attempt or at least following his um, kicking his heroin habit, 
he was using, as he says, copious amounts of cocaine. He was using, um, at the time when he was using heroin, uh, he was spending $16,000, and this is in 1970, um, $16,000 a week on heroin. He says um, in an interview that it, financially it was ridiculous. And he said that he thought at the time, and it seems so, so amazing to him now, but he thought at the time that he was really managing it, that he was handling it, that he could stop any time, that he just didn't want to stop during that time. During that period when he was deeply involved with heroin, however, he stayed home a lot and he really did not perform live very often. When he was um, overcoming his heroin addiction, he was still battling alcohol and obviously still using cocaine. In this um, interview that he did called Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll for NPR, he describes a time that he was performing while lying down on the stage and that, quote, it didn't seem that outlandish to me. In fact, probably it was all I was capable of. It was either that or just lying down somewhere else. The fact that I was lying down on the stage means that at least I showed up, end quote. He said it was a very crazy time, and this was a very difficult time, but even during his dark days, that the music kept him going. And this, again, goes back to our point that we've been making throughout um, the show today, the idea that the creativity is in him, the talent is in him. It's not inherent in the drugs or alcohol itself. But he was able to um, recognize that he was able to have some ups and downs, uh, unfortunately, when he gave um, up his drugs, that he found it was difficult initially to perform. He had been really fueling a lot of his um, performance, actually, with um, the use of the drugs. And that physically he was pretty terrified at times that he wasn't going to be able to do it. But he was able to overcome this initial difficulty and was able to go forth and have a very successful career. He now is married, has um, three small children, and this was well many years ago, and he's been sober now for over 20 years. So I think this is the good news, that people are able to overcome and manage. I'm not going to say they're cured because they're not, but they can manage their recovery, they can manage their disease, and that they still have access to their skills, their creativity, and their passion once they can remove the lethality of the drugs. Well, and, and another example that... that um, I think really speaks to how phenomenal a person can be after recovery um, is, is with David Bowie. Um, he was um, just recently passed away, um, but in the news, I want to say yesterday or day before, they announced that he had um, hit number one for the first time in his career on the Billboard Top for Best Album of the Best Album with the one that he, reduced, he just released a few days before he passed away. Um, he had, had a famous, you know, drug history in his in his early twenties. Um, um, 
and, and pretty much was using cocaine to, to fuel his, his um, crazy onstage performances and, and um, um, cocaine was, was the fuel for him for a long time in the 70s. But he got into recovery um, after he had gotten to a place where he was set suicidal at about age 28 and um, was able to put his life back together and, and even talk openly about how he wished he had never tried drugs and that he, his best advice to people is to stay away from drugs. Um, but he went on to have a, a very successful um, um, last half of his life with with um, producing shows and performing concerts and, and doing an album up into um, the, the short period before he passed away. Um, so the creativity isn't a result of drugs, and the drugs um, um, aren't the, the catalyst for success. They're, they're something that... Um, if not, if you don't, if you don't take it seriously, are are going to kill you. And and if you're able to get into recovery and get your life going, you can you can be amazingly successful. There's a um, a movement that I've had a lot of mixed feelings about called um, anonymous people. Have you have you talked much at all about that on the show? Um, no, we haven't. It's it's interesting because there's a movement to to have people be more open about being in recovery, that they've had an addiction history and they've gotten their lives back together, um, to try and break the stigma of um, um, being a drug addict. And I have mixed feelings about it because I think the anonymity that comes from Alcoholics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous and all of those programs really allow a person to get clean. Um, But at the same time, with them staying so anonymous, um, they're not doing anything to help the, the people who are in the midst of the disease and are feeling the stigma of, if I get clean, I'm going to lose everything. And, and the documentary about anonymous people and the movement with anonymous people is showing um, artists, active, current, successful artists, talking about um, their drug addiction history and their, their life in recovery. So they're... they're um, really highlighting what the topic today is about, that there is, um, cre- that creativity is a part of recovery and a ba- part of, if you're a creative person, you're a creative person, not because you're a drug addict, but because you're a creative person. And I think that sometimes celebrities have not had much choice. <laughs> They're in the news, and so their stories and their success or their lack of success in getting the disease under control and managed is highlighted. And so they're out there, whether it's Lamar Odom, whether it's David Bowie, whether it's Natalie Cole, these folks haven't had much choice about whether whether they can remain anonymous. But the idea, I think, not to out other people, and I think that's a real important point and part of this movement is they're not about going and outing others, that people who are active in the rooms of 12 steps or who are in treatment centers and protected by state and federal law in terms of their right to privacy. But they're going to share their story. They're going to be open and honest, and they are going to shine a little bit of a light on the fact that there are successes and that it doesn't have to be big names who go to 
fancy, expensive treatment centers and struggle that there are people, everyday people, all walks of life, all professions, all ages, all genders, all types of folks that are struggling but have become successful, have been able to manage their disease, and out of that, take away some of the stigma to help really understand this is a brain disease, this is a medical illness, this is a childhood brain disease. This isn't something that somebody wants to do. It's not something that a person wakes up one morning and says, gee, what can I do to screw up my life? Certainly the idea that addiction is um, genetically inherited and therefore, like any other genetically inherited disease that's potentially lethal, people and families need to know about it. Doctors, treatment professionals need to know that you have this vulnerability. You yourself need to know and that it can be managed and that you don't have to hit these terrible bottoms that for many people include death. It's a very... It's a very um, important message, and while there is some concern about being anonymous, and I appreciate that and respect that and certainly obey those laws uh, around confidentiality, I think that the idea that some folks are willing to stand up and let their communities and their families and their friends and colleagues know that they have this addiction and that they are okay with it and that they are doing okay and that they are actually successful, happy people to give hope to other folks. Post-recovery. They had success, then the addiction took over, and then they got recovery, and then they had success again. And that is an important message and one that I hope everyone listening will be able to understand that this is a very manageable, treatable disease and that help is out there. And I wish all of you a very healthy and creative week. And we will see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.